Section 20 of Autobiography of Benvenuto Salini, Part 2. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Autobiography of Benvenuto Salini, Part 2, Section 20, Chapters 100 through 103. Chapter 100. When the Duke came to Florence, he sought me at my house without giving me previous notice. I showed him two little models of different design. Though he praised them both, he said that one of them pleased him better than the other, and I was to finish the one he liked with care, and this would be to my advantage. Now his excellency had already seen Bandinello's designs, and those of other sculptors, but as I was informed by many of his courtiers who had heard him, he commended mine far above the rest. Among other matters worthy of record and of great weight upon this point, I will mention the following. The Cardinal of Santa Fiore was on a visit to Florence, and the Duke took him to Poggio Accaiano. Upon the road, noticing the marble as he passed, the Cardinal praised it highly, inquiring of His Excellency for what sculptor he intended it. The Duke replied at once, For my friend Benvenuto, who has made a splendid model with a view to it. This was reported to me by men whom I could trust. Hearing what the Duke had said, I went to the Duchess and took her some small bits of goldsmith's work, which greatly pleased Her Excellency. Then she asked what I was doing, and I replied, My lady, I have taken in hand for my pleasure one of the most laborious pieces which have ever been produced. It is a Christ of the whitest marble, set upon a cross of the blackest, exactly of the same size as a tall man. She immediately inquired what I meant to do with it. I answered, You must know, my lady, that I would not sell it for two thousand golden ducats. It is of such difficult execution that I think no man ever attempted the like before, nor would I have undertaken it at the commission of any prince whatever, for fear I might prove inadequate to the task. I bought the marbles with my own money, and have kept a young man some two years as my assistant in the work. What with the stone, the iron frame to hold it up, and the wages, it has cost me above three hundred crowns. Consequently, I would not sell it for two thousand. But if your excellency deigns to grant me a favor which is wholly blameless, I shall be delighted to make you a present of it. All I ask is that Your Excellency will not use your influence, either against or for the models, which the Duke has ordered to be made of the Neptune for that great block of marble. She replied with mighty indignation, So then, you value neither my help nor my opposition? On the contrary, I value them highly, Princess. Or why am I offering to give you what I value at two thousand ducats? but I have such confidence in my laborious and well-trained studies that I hope to win the palm, even against the great Michel Agnolo Bonarotti, from whom and from no one else I have learned all that I know. Indeed, I should be much better pleased to enter into competition with him who knows so much than with those who know but little of their art. Contending with my sublime master, I could gain laurels in plenty." whereas there are but few to be reaped in a contest with these men. After I had spoken, she rose in a half-angry mood, 
and I returned to work with all the strength I had upon my model. When it was finished, the Duke came to see it, bringing with him two ambassadors, one from the Duke of Ferrara and the other from the Signori of Lucca. They were delighted, and the Duke said to those two gentlemen, Upon my word, Benvenuto deserves to have the marble. Then they both paid me the highest compliments, especially the envoy from Lucca, who was a person of accomplishments and learning. I had retired to some distance in order that they might exchange opinions freely. But when I heard that I was being complimented, I came up, turned to the Duke and said, My Lord, your most illustrious Excellency ought now to employ another admirable device. Decree that everyone who likes shall make a model in clay exactly of the same size as the marble has to be. In this way, you will be able to judge far better who deserves the commission. And I may observe that if your excellency does not give it to the sculptor who deserves it, this will not wrong the man so much, but will reflect great discredit upon yourself, since the loss and shame will fall on you. On the other hand, if you award it to the one who has deserved it, you will acquire great glory in the first place, and will employ your treasure well, while artists will believe that you appreciate and understand their business. No sooner had I finished speaking than the Duke shrugged his shoulders and began to move away. While they were taking leave, the ambassador of Luca said to the Duke, Prince, this Benvenuto of yours is a terrible man. The Duke responded, He is much more terrible than you imagine, and well were it for him if he were a little less terrible then he would possess at the present moment many things which he has not got. These precise words were reported to me by the envoy, by way of shiding and advising me to change my conduct. I told him that I had the greatest wish to oblige my lord as his affectionate and faithful servant, but that I did not understand the arts of flattery. Several months after this date, Bandinello died, and it was thought that, in addition to his intemperate habits of life, the mortification of having probably to lose the marble contributed to his decline. Chapter 101 Bandinello had received information of the crucifix, which, as I have said above, I was now engaged upon. Accordingly, he laid his hands at once upon a block of marble and produced a pietà which may be seen in the church of the Annunziata, now I had offered my crucifix to Santa Maria Novella, and had already fixed up the iron clamps whereby I meant to fasten it against the wall. I only asked for permission to construct a little sarcophagus upon the ground beneath the feet of Christ, into which I might creep when I was dead. The friars told me that they could not grant this without the consent of their building committee. I replied, Good brethren, why did you not consult your committee before you allowed me to place my crucifix? Without their leave, you suffered me to fix my clamps and other necessary fittings. On this account, I refused to give those fruits of my enormous labors to the church of Santa Maria Novella, even though the overseers of the fabric came and begged me for the crucifix. I turned at once to the church of the Annunziata, and when I explained the terms on which I had sought to make a present of it to Santa Maria Novella, those virtuous friars of the Nunziata unanimously told me to place it in their church, 
and let me make my grave according to my will and pleasure. When Bandinello became aware of this, he set to work with great diligence at the completion of his pieta, and prayed the Duchess to get for him the chapel of the Pazzi for his monument. This he obtained with some difficulty, and on receiving the permission, he erected his pieta with great haste. It was not altogether completed when he died. The Duchess then said that, even as she had protected him in life, so would she protect him in the grave, and that albeit he was dead, I need never try to get that block of marble, apropos of which the broken Bernardone, meeting me one day in the country, said that the Duchess had assigned the marble. I replied, unhappy piece of stone, in the hands of Bandinello it would certainly have come to grief, but in those of Amanato its fate is a hundred times worse. Now I had received orders from the Duke to make a clay model, of the same size as the marble would allow. He also provided me with wood and clay, set up a sort of screen in the loggia where my Perseus stands, and paid me one workman. I went about my business with all diligence, and constructed the wooden framework according to my excellent system. Then I brought the model successfully to a conclusion, without caring whether I should have to execute it in marble, since I knew the Duchess was resolved I should not get the commission. Consequently, I paid no heed to that. Only I felt very glad to undergo this labor, hoping to make the Duchess, who was, after all, a person of intelligence, as indeed I had the means of observing at a later period, repent of having done so great a wrong both to the marble and herself. Giovanni de Fleming also made a model in the cloister of Santa Croce, Vincenzo Dante of Perugia another in the house of Messer Ottaviano de' Medici, the son of Moschino began a third at Pisa, and Bartolomeo Amanato a fourth in the loggia, which we divided between us. When I had blocked the whole of mine out well, and wanted to begin upon the details of the head, which I had already just sketched out in outline, the duke came down from the palace, and Giorgetto the painter took him into Amanato's workshed. This man had been engaged there with his own hands several days, in company with Amanato and all his workpeople. While then the duke was inspecting Amanato's model, I received intelligence that he seemed but little pleased with it. In spite of Giorgetto's trying to dose him with his fluent nonsense, the Duke shook his head, and turning to Messer Gian Stefano, exclaimed, Go and ask Benvenuto if his colossal statue is far enough forward for him to gratify us with a glance at it. Messer Gian Stefano discharged this embassy with great tact, and in the most courteous terms. He added that if I did not think my work quite ready to be seen yet, I might say so frankly, since the Duke knew well that I had enjoyed but little assistance for so large an undertaking. I replied that I entreated him to do me the favor of coming, for though my model was not far advanced, yet the intelligence of His Excellency would enable him to comprehend perfectly how it was likely to look when finished. This kindly gentleman took back my message to the Duke, who came with pleasure, no sooner had he entered the enclosure and cast his eyes upon my work than he gave signs of being greatly satisfied. Then he walked all around it, stopping at each of the four points of view, exactly as the ripest expert would have done. 
Afterwards he showed by nods and gestures of approval that it pleased him, but he said no more than this. Benvenuto, you have only to give a little surface to your statue. Then he turned to his attendants, praising my performance and saying, The small model which I saw in his house pleased me greatly, but this has far exceeded it in merit. Chapter 102 It pleased God, who rules all things for our good, I mean for those who acknowledge and believe in him, such men never fail to gain his protection, that about this time a certain rascal from Vecchio, called Pier Maria di Anterigoli, and surnamed Los Bieta, introduced himself to me. He is a sheep grazier, and being closely related to Messer Guido Guidi, the physician, who is now provost of Pescia, I lent ear to his proposals. The man offered to sell me a farm of his for the term of my natural life. I did not care to go and see it, since I wanted to complete the model of my colossal Neptune. There was also no reason why I should visit the property, because Sbieta only sold it to me for the income. This he had noted down at so many bushels of grain, so much of wine, oil, standing corn, chestnuts, and other produce. I reckoned that, as the market then ran, these together were worth something considerably over a hundred golden crowns in gold, and I paid him 650 crowns, which included duties to the state. Consequently, when he left a memorandum, written in his own hand, to the effect that he would always keep up these products of the farm in the same values during my lifetime, I did not think it necessary to inspect it. Only I made inquiries, to the best of my ability, as to whether Sbieta and his brother, Sir Filippo, were well off enough to give me good security. Many persons of diverse sorts who knew them assured me that my security was excellent. We agreed to call in Sir Pier Francesco Bertoldi, notary at the Mercantanzia, and at the very first I handed him Sbieta's memorandum, expecting that this would be recited in the deed. But the notary who drew it up was so occupied with detailing 22 boundaries described by Sbieta that so far as I can judge, he neglected to include in the contract what the vendor had proposed to furnish. While he was writing, I went on working, and since it took him several hours, I finished a good piece of my Neptune's head. After the contract was signed and sealed, Sbieta began to pay me the most marked attentions, which I returned in like measure. He made me presents of kids, cheese, capons, fresh curds, and many sorts of fruits, until I began to be almost ashamed of so much kindness. In exchange for these courtesies, I always took him from the inn to lodge with me when he came into Florence, often inviting a relative or two who happened to attend him. On one of these occasions, he told me with a touch of pleasantry that it was really shameful for me to have bought a farm, and, after the lapse of so many weeks, not yet to have left my business for three days in the hands of my workpeople, so as to have come to look at it. His wheedling words and ways induced me to set off, in a bad hour for my welfare, on a visit to him. Sbieta received me in his own house with such attentions and such honors as a duke might covet. His wife caressed me even more than he did, 
and these excellent relations continued between us until the plans which he and his brother sir filippo had in mind were fully matured chapter one hundred and three meanwhile i did not suspend my labours on the neptune which was now quite blocked out upon an excellent system undiscovered and unknown before i used it consequently although i knew i should not get the marble for the reasons above narrated i hoped to have it soon completed and to display it on the piazza simply for my satisfaction it was a warm and pleasant season and this together with the attentions of those two rascals disposed me to set out one wednesday which happened to be a double holiday for my country house at trespiano having spent some time over an excellent lunch it was past twenty o'clock when i reached vicchio there at the town gate i met sir filippo who appeared to know already whither i was bound he loaded me with attentions and took me to sbieta's house where i found that fellow's trumpet of a wife who also overwhelmed me with caresses i gave the woman a straw hat with the very finest texture the like of which she told me she had never seen still up to this time sbieta had not put in his appearance toward the end of the afternoon we all sat down to supper in excellent spirits later on they gave me a well-appointed bedroom where i went to rest in a bed of the most perfect cleanliness both of my servants according to their rank were equally well treated on the morrow when i rose the same attentions were paid me i went to see my farm which pleased me much and then i had some quantities of grain and other produce handed over but when i returned to vicchio the priest sir filippo said to me benvenuto do not be uneasy although you have not found here quite everything you had the right to look for yet put your mind to rest it will be amply made up in the future for you have to deal with honest folk you ought by the way to know that we have sent that labourer away because he was a scoundrel the labourer in question bore the name of mariano rosselli and this man now kept frequently repeating in my ear look well after yourself in the end you will discover which of us here is the greatest villain the country fellow when he spoke those words smiled with an evil kind of sneer and jerked his head as though to say only go up there and you will find out for yourself i was to some extent unfavourably influenced by these hints yet far from forming a conception of what actually happened to me so when i returned from the farm which is two miles distant from vicchio toward the alpi i met the priest who was waiting for me with his customary politeness we then sat down together to breakfast it was not so much a dinner as an excellent collation afterwards i took a walk through vicchio the market had just opened and noticed how all the inhabitants fixed their eyes upon me as on something strange this struck me particularly in the case of a worthy old man who has been living for many years at vicchio and whose wife bakes bread for sale he owns some good property at the distance of about a mile however he prefers this mode of life and occupies a house which belongs to me in the town of vicchio this had been consigned to me together with the farm above mentioned which bears the name of della fonte the worthy old man spoke as follows 
I am living in your house, and when it falls due I shall pay you your rent, but if you want it earlier I will act according to your wishes. You may reckon on never having any disputes with me. While we were thus talking, I noticed that he looked me hard in the face, which compelled me to address him thus. Prithee tell me, friend Giovanni, why have you more than once stared at me in that way? He replied, I am quite willing to tell you, if, being the man of worth I take you for, you will promise not to say what I have told you. I gave the promise, and he proceeded. You must know, then, that that worthless priest, Sir Filippo, not many days since, went about boasting of his brother Sbieta's cleverness, and telling how he had sold his farm to an old man for his lifetime, and that the purchaser could hardly live the year out. You have got mixed up with a set of rogues. Therefore take heed to living as long as you are able, and keep your eyes open, for you have need of it. I do not choose to say more. End of section 20